Hello, I'm Aaron Freinberger, and this is State Road 49, an audio program that shares extraordinary stories from everyday people. We'd like to thank you for coming back. We're always looking for interesting stories to bring you, and if you have one, we'd love to hear it. Reach out to us on Facebook at State Road 49. We read every one, and we're looking forward to seeing yours. Again, facebook.com slash State Road 49. I'll be waiting. Okay, today's episode is from Kathy Biggs, a story of love and heartbreak. Here we go. I met a fine-looking gentleman at Chicago Fest. You guys are too young. You might not know what Chicago Fest is, but they used to shut down all of Navy Pier and it became one big festival. Was that before Taste of Chicago? Oh, yeah, yeah, but it was awesome. So there was this great-looking guy, and he was with his friends. I was with my friends, and we just flirted all night. We were at a Captain Hook concert. They were a few rows behind us. We were a few rows in front, and they had popcorn. They kept throwing it at us, okay? So then we turn back and throw it. We <laughs> smile and giggle and flip our hair. Then after the concert, you know, we walked a little bit, flirted some more, but I never thought I'd see him again. The very next night at the Chesterton High School football jamboree, he was there, the guy from Chicago. I was a cheerleader, I was a freshman cheerleader, and so the freshmen had to pass out the pamphlets. I was passing out the pamphlets to everybody, and up walks my Chicago hunk. And he said, oh my gosh, we met last night in Chicago. I was like, yeah, we did. So I kept my eye on him all night long. He seemed to know everybody there. He went up and down the bleachers, like it used to be old stadium bleachers, and he just walked up and down and talked to all the pretty girls there. But before the game was over, he asked for my phone number. I probably shouldn't have been allowed to date him because he was 21 already, and I was not. I became pregnant at just barely 17. Everyone said, don't get married. Don't make two mistakes. As of November 6, 2017, we were married for 35 years. I want to tell you that my beautiful baby boy that was born was the best thing that ever happened to me because he started our family. John and I went on to have two more beautiful children, and now our kids are all married with their own families. They're great kids. They know and love God, and they're good parents. I'd say we did all right. For a couple of kids, we did all right. When being diagnosed, with stage two breast cancer in 2016, just about killed me. So take me to that day. Did, mm. did you know you were sick or was it no. just a regular? Okay, so, no. so tell me about that. That's, that's a good question because you know, you don't feel the cancer, but you feel the medicine. You feel that medicine. Um, I went for a routine mammogram. They, um, you know, I did my thing. I went home, they called me back. I'm like. We didn't get enough pictures, we have to take another look. I'm like, well, this is really, you know, inconvenient, you know. It's hard to get to the hospital to get a test. Um, I had to make arrangements, I had to get back. 
I had to find someone to cover my daycare. I had to get back to the hospital, have more pictures taken. Well, that went straight to um, an ultrasound. After that, um, a doctor came in and said, we believe it's cancer. We're going to take a biopsy, and we're going to do it right now. So it went from just taking a few more pictures to an ultrasound to a biopsy to it looks like cancer. What was your initial thought? Couldn't believe it. I called my daughter. I called my husband. My daughter came to the hospital. My husband couldn't leave the mill. And she just held my hand while I cried. So I had three hospitalizations, which is unusual, but chemotherapy and I just didn't mix well. I was very, very sick. I had two life-threatening infections. The first was a staph infection that I developed in my chemo port. And staph is what ultimately killed my father-in-law. He contracted it while in the hospital. It went to his kidneys. His kidneys shut down, and he passed away. So when I heard the word staph, I was afraid. Fear was something that was a daily companion to me. So I had to go two months of daily intravenous antibiotics. I had to go to the hospital and sit in this room and have antibiotics pumped into my body every day for months. After that infection was healed, I started up the chemo treatments again. I laid in that cold room and cried every single day I went. I felt all alone. I felt despair. I had been sick for a long time come this point. I just was in despair at that point of my, my cancer, I guess. I'll tell you that I had a second infection after I was done with my last chemo. It's called C. diff, and it's, it can be a life-threatening infection if you can't get rid of it. Um, my body could not shake it. It was too run down and too depleted, and the, the regular treatment wasn't touching it. Ultimately, I had to have something called a stool transplant, and I had to ingest 30 caplets of donor stool. The donor was my sweet husband. I had a hard time getting them down. I had to um, eat yogurt and drink apple juice after each tablet. And the closer I got to the end, the sicker I felt. The doctor kept saying, you don't want to get sick. I'm like, I know. It was probably over an hour and a half that we were in the doctor's office. And, and was, how many? I had to try, I only got 25 down. 25 I, in an hour and a half. Yeah, it was tough. Um, didn't smell lovely, didn't, no, didn't stay down easy. Um, I only got about 25 in and I couldn't take any more. He asked, did I want to take the rest home and take them later? I said, no, thank you very much. It's kind of you to ask. And I have had a lot of jokes told about this subject. Um, 
What I haven't thought of, I've heard, believe me, (laughs) (laughs) from my husband himself even. I felt as though God had left me, that he just didn't love me anymore. I had many days and nights that Satan would totally convince me that my family would be better off without me, that I was a drain on them emotionally and financially and spiritually. I was beginning to think about taking my own life. It felt like I would just kind of be helping God out, speeding up the inevitable. Breast cancer is not the hardest thing I've ever been through. As we were just getting our lives back, my sweet husband had emergency surgery in Chicago. They removed a tumor and eight inches of his, of his bowel. That tumor was diagnosed as stage four lymphoma. We were seriously asking God, like, what the is going on here, God? WTF. Were you fully healed before your, can- or your husband was diagnosed? Or was this happening at the same time? I was just starting to feel good. I didn't have all my strength back. I didn't have all my hair back. When it was starting to come in, I wore it kind of like a mohawk. Um, so I was in my mohawk phase, but it, it felt like a gut punch. How did he know? Was he feeling ill? Yes. He actually suffered a lot with his cancer. Mine, I didn't even know, but um, his manifested in his in his bowel, so he had intense pain. We didn't know what was wrong. We tried to get help. By the time I got back to Chicago, he had had several hours, and I walked in and he said, "I just feel like I've let everybody down. You got to understand." This man, hardest working man you've ever met in your life. He worked at the mill because we needed the benefits, but he built houses on the side in his spare time. Beautiful houses. He built the house we lived in together for 20 years. He built our first house. He built my daughter's house. We say, we're going to put the grandkids in the car one day and take them all through the county and show them all the houses Grandpa built. He died just four months after that day. I came home and found him dead on the kitchen floor. When I saw him, I screamed. I was in such hysterics. I tried to call 911. It was like in shock. I couldn't dial 911. It was the weirdest thing. Somehow, I got a hold of my oldest son, Scott, because I could see his name on my phone in the favorites, and I could see it. Before long, there were police and paramedics working to bring my John back. My closest neighbors told me when they saw the police and paramedics in my driveway, they thought it was me that had died. And I'll tell you that on a daily basis, I feel something akin to survivor's guilt. worked the very day he died. He came home, took off his work boots, laid his hat, he was wearing his Blackhawks hat, laid it on the desk, opened the pantry door to get the dog a treat, 
and had a massive heart attack. His death was listed as acute cardiac arrest. So was your husband's heart attack cancer-related? I mean... It was. Chemotherapy is damaging to your heart. And in fact, I still have to have echocardiograms about every six months to check my heart for damage. It's very damaging to your heart. When John first died, myself and my whole family were devastated. I've never felt such pain or sorrow. I lost my best friend, my helpmate, my companion, my lover, my provider, my rock, my security. I was sad and disillusioned. I kept asking God, why? I would cry myself to sleep at night, just begging God not to hurt me anymore. But I found that God can take whatever we are feeling, whatever we have to say, he already knows. And he will send his comforter. He is healing my broken heart. I have found joy in things once again. There's nothing that you have done that can make God love you any less. And there's nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore. His love is steady, strong, and sacrificial. He sacrificed his only son for me and you and for my sweet John. I will see him again. I don't think my family and I will ever get over the loss of this wonderful man. But I do, however, believe that we will get through it if we lean on God and on one another. My kids are wonderful, and they have their own journey of grief. And I, as a mom, feel my grief and theirs. Does that make sense? So I pray for him every day, and I encourage him every, every time I can. You would have liked him. Everybody liked him. His funeral was huge. Three hour wait. I didn't want to miss a thing. I never moved. I just wanted to hear every story. I had people for a month and a half afterwards still stopping by the house to say, I missed the funeral, but I want to tell you the story about your husband. One gal. She was divorced, living alone, and it was the middle of the night, storming awfully. And she lost her power, and she couldn't get her generator going. She's like, what do I do? I don't have anybody. Who can I call? Wait, I could call John Biggs. He got up in the middle of the night, went to her home, and started that generator for her. I didn't even know I was sound asleep. But that's the man that we lost. That's the man. I, I have such pride in my kids. Um, I think when we look at our kids, we can understand just an inkling of God's love for us kind of thing. So unconditional, extravagant love. Like, there's nothing you would, wouldn't do for them if you could do it. Um, and then the other best part about having kids is grandkids. 
I'm, I'm serious. We're more relaxed as grandparents. We don't have to make sure their teeth are brushed. We don't have to make sure they studied. We don't have to make sure they get, you know, we just get to love them, fill them full of sugar, have fun. And grandkids are God's blessings for making it through raising your own kids. Once again, that was Kathy Biggs. Thank you for sharing your and your husband's story. And thanks to everybody for listening. Again, facebook.com slash stateroad49. I'm Aaron Freinberger, and this is State Road 49. Produced by Aaron Freinberger, Matt Willingham, and Garrett Schultz. It is executive produced by the Heartland Christian Center. Visit their website at hcc3d.com. That is hcc, the number 3d.com. This episode was recorded, edited, and mixed by Garrett Schultz. Music by Thomas Kellabas. For more information about the program, visit us at facebook.com slash stateroad49. This program was produced in Valparaiso, Indiana.